Pastor Xavier Reese says, even in our undoing, there is a lot God can do. Have you ever noticed that whatever God asks you to do, He always gives you the means by which to fulfill it? He says, walk in the Spirit. Oh, but Lord, I just, walk. You're my child, right? Love, forgive, be merciful, wait on me. Everything He asks of me, He knows I have the ability to do because of what He's done in me. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. You know, you've heard it said that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, Pastor Xavier Reese says similarly that much of our suffering is an opportunity to show God's glory in action. Pain and disappointment are always opportunities for God to display His grace. And today, Pastor Xavier uses the healing of the blind man of John chapter 9 to illustrate this simple truth. Let's listen. The story of the healing of the blind man by Jesus is a beautiful picture of every person who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and is in need of spiritual sight. And so we want to carefully observe the four-step process that takes this man from utter physical blindness to ultimate spiritual sight. Four processes that he goes through. Let me read verses 1 through 12 in the last section, and we'll, I'll give you the four points. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and he made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. And so he went and washed and came back seen. Now, blindness was a common occurrence in that region and in that time because of unsanitary conditions and many different diseases, and there wasn't uh, the advancement of medicine. Blindness in this case, though, is described as being from birth. It's congenital. Notice, secondly, in verse 2, the disciples of Jesus asked him who was responsible for the man's blind condition. Now, they're thinking was that there was two possibilities. The one, the man himself had sinned. The other, his parents had sinned. In verse 3 and 5, the Lord Jesus corrects the wrong theology. <laughs> the condition of the man was neither due to his own sin nor his parents' sin. He says it plainly. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. God does not get some joy out of allowing people to be born blind or a tragedy take place where you lose your arm or you're struck with cancer. No. But through it all, he's there to work, to glorify himself. Now notice verse 4 and 5, Jesus was sent to do the works of the Father. Key word, key phrase, sent. Sent from the Father, sent by the Father, sent. 
And notice secondly in verses 6 and 7, the condition of the blind man is healed by the works of Jesus. In verse 6, the process is described. Jesus spat on the ground. Now, there was a belief that spittle had a beneficial power. And, and there's a lot of superstitious stuff, you know, uh, throughout the world, different things, you know, they, they do some weird stuff, you know, to heal people and everything. And the Jews um, apparently had been at least affected by this because they forbade uh, the using of spit on the Sabbath day <laughs> to heal, okay? Not to swallow. Um, <laughs> All one could do on a Sabbath day if someone was injured in life-threatening condition is you could only maintain life. You couldn't better it. You talk about legalism. Now, Jesus spat on the ground, then Jesus made clay of the spit. Then Jesus anoints the eyes of the blind man with the clay. The manner might have seemed as mockery of the man to some, because remember, this man's blind and has been from birth. And probably some stood by and says, wait a minute, what's he doing, mocking this guy? Putting clay in his eyes? Then others must have looked and said, man, that's kind of superstitious, isn't it, for, for him being Messiah? Mud? Spit? Dirt? The key is not the pattern nor the method. The key is the person, the person of Jesus Christ and the faith in Jesus Christ of the person being healed, the person that God speaks to. Notice in verse 7, the proclamation is declared. He heard the word, go, yet he was blind. <laughs> Imagine telling a blind man, go, he's blind. Have you ever noticed that whatever God asks you to do, he always gives you the means by which to fulfill it? He says, walk in the spirit. Oh, but Lord, I did Walk. You're my child, right? Don't sin. Love. Forgive. Be merciful. Wait on me. Everything he asks of me, he knows I have the ability to do because of what he's done in me. I need to understand that. Go, and yet he was blind. He obeyed what he heard and watched in the pool of Siloam, though he could have argued to go to the nearest pool. Why so far? <laughs> he didn't. He went, washed, came seen. Notice that the prophetic significance of the pool was Jesus. The name Siloam means sent, even as Jesus was sent by the Father to heal the blind man by sending him to the pool of Siloam. The pool was also the one from which they drew water at the Feast of Tabernacles, remember? Every day, except for the last. It was also called the Feast of Lights, remember that, because of the candelabras. How interesting this man would be sent to the pool, that means sent, by the person who was sent by the Father, that he might receive light. What a connection. This is the only record of a blind man ever being healed from congenital disease. There's no mention of it. Do you realize that nowhere in the Old Testament is a blind man healed? Do you realize in the New Testament there is more people healed from blindness than any other disease? But this is the only one that was born blind, at least it's recorded. 
How interesting, because Jesus came to give us spiritual sight. So symbolic. It was the very sign of the coming Messiah. He would open the eyes of the blind. Isn't that what he told John the Baptist when John was, was in prison? And he says, do, are you the one or we do look for another? And he says, tell John that the deaf hear, the blind see, and the poor hear the gospel. <laughs> How interesting. The condition of the blind man was healed by the works of Jesus. Notice thirdly in verses 8 through 12 that the condition of the blind man is turned to a witness for Jesus. Notice the progression. First, in verse 8, the people who knew him witnessed in astonishment. The neighbors who were very familiar with the presence of the blind beggar probably at the temple as well as those who had seen him uh, before he was blind, they were astonished. Now, you, you've gone somewhere where, where you've, you've, you've seen something, you're so used to, familiar with it, and you take a double take because you don't know if you're seeing right or, 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 or something's changed. Uh, that's what's taking place here. Even as the lame man at the gate called Beautiful in Acts 3 was known. So you have to understand that beggars and disabled people are a landmark in, in many countries of the world, especially third world countries. And they pick religious sites because there they, they, they cry out for the mercy of God, for the people to be merciful. If you go to Mexico, you go to the, to the cathedral, you see all kinds of beggars there. And then you see them also lined up, up to the villa. And they, 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 they beg for alms there. Now, we're getting a little glimpse of that with the homeless people that we have, right? On a little side note. You see, this is all over the world. So they are permanent fixtures. People know them. People bring them things. They're accepted. They're cared for. Their question was, is not this he who sat and begged? They couldn't believe their eyes. They might have thought they were making a mistake. Oh, nah, it can't be him. <laughs> but notice in verse 9, the people, as they witnessed the man healed, they had various responses. Some said, that is he. Others said, he's like him. He said, it is I. <laughs> and he kept saying, it is I. <laughs> you think he was excited? Listen, this man, as I said, has never seen his father and mother's face, has never seen a bird, has never seen a tree, has never seen the temple. He's heard of the temple. He's never seen the glory of the temple. And all of a sudden, his eyes are open. We have no idea what that could be like. This man was just exhilarated. This man was going crazy. He didn't care if they thought it was him or not. <laughs> he didn't care whether they mistake or he all he knew is he could see. The people asked for his personal witness of how his eyes were open in verse 10 through 12. When a miracle takes place, especially in the physical realm, people always ask, how were you healed? They never ask, who healed you? How were you healed? How did this happen? The blind man was a faithful witness by declaring that a man called Jesus made clay, anointed his eyes, and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and he did so and received the sign. Verse 11. 
He gives a faithful witness. Very simple, very straightforward. Now, you would think, well, you know, it's kind of uh, not very credible. I mean, they might make fun of me. They, you know, he was so caught up that he could see. He didn't care. <laughs> he had been changed drastically. He gave a witness to the voice of Jesus as to what he had heard, for he had never seen Jesus. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All he did was hear the voice of Jesus. He gave a witness to the authority of Jesus by his obedience to the command. He said, go, and he went. He gave a witness to the power of Jesus by the sight that he had received. And so the people asked for the whereabouts of the man Jesus, to which he answered, I don't know. Hmm. You see, the name Jesus was already marked by the religious leaders. They were seeking to arrest him and kill him. 9.22 and many other passages. The man did not know where Jesus was, for when he returned, Jesus was not there. What an incredible lesson, an example for us, that whatever we do, we do to the glory of God, and we don't always stick around to want to get a pat on the back. That we do it in such a way where we don't make people feel indebted to us. That we do it in just a very natural way. Jesus just walked away. You see, the condition of the blind man was turned to a witness for Jesus. But notice lastly, verses 35 through 39. The condition of the blind man led him to the worship of Jesus. You see, this is what Jesus was after all along. But there was a process that he went through. First of all, verse 35 and 36, Jesus sought the blind man after he had been excommunicated. You see, the blind man had told the Jewish leaders that he believed Jesus was a man, a prophet, and a man of God. They didn't like that. So he had been condemned for being born in sins and for attempting to teach them on spiritual matters. Verse 34 says, How are you born in sin teach us? And so he was cast out of the temple, excommunicated. When you were excommunicated, no one had anything to do with you even family members. If they saw you on the street, they had to stay away from you six feet. You were cut off from social life. This man's been blind all his life. He sees for the first time, and now he's cut off from society. But it's interesting, Jesus seeks him out, and he finds him to have him become part of the living temple of God, the church. Jesus asked him, do you believe in the Son of God? And the blind man asked him, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Verse 36. And in verse 37, Jesus reveals that it is he whom he has seen and is talking to presently. And so the blind man responds in verse 38 in two ways. First, he calls Jesus Lord and confesses that he believes in him. Secondly, he commences to worship him. This is the goal. 
that Jesus wants to bring a person to the place where he acknowledges him as who he is, God and Messiah. It can only bring you to one place, to the feet of Jesus to worship. For the word worship here means to kiss after the custom of prostrating oneself before a person, even to the point of kissing their feet. It's an oriental custom. The Persians, uh, many of them did that. It's an acknowledgement that you are before someone who is far greater than yourself, one who deserves homage and service in whom you are not worthy to be before. That's the position of the 24 elders in the book of Revelation before the throne of God. Get used to that. That's your part and mine when we get to heaven. <laughs> Don't be over there, be standing up. Somebody will knock you down. Get on the ground. <laughs> learn, learn your part. You see, the blind man was one of the lost sheep who responded to the voice of Jesus and he sought him out as the good shepherd. And because he was his, he heard his voice. Jesus is doing in chapter 8 what he's going to be teaching in chapter 9. <laughs> what a great order. We should be teaching only what we're living. Only what we're doing. So important. Notice, secondly, in verse 39, Jesus proclaimed the purpose of his coming. It may seem out of place, the, the scripture here, verse 39, but it isn't. Jesus has just healed him. He has just worshiped Jesus. And Jesus says, for judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. The verse is a transitional verse. People divide differently. Some people divide it at verse 38. Others divide it at the end of verse 39. I divide it at the end of verse 39. I put 39 with what precedes it. For this reason, it is the expression and the proclamation of Jesus about what has taken place. But it also looks forward to what he will be saying is going to take place. Follow me. He came into the world for judgment, not condemnation. He already established that in chapter 3. The word judgment means the result or decision, not the process of judging. Those who cannot see spiritually may see by believing him, namely the blind man. Those who decide to accept and believe in Jesus will see. That is the result of their own choice. That's part of the judgment. It's the consequence. It's the result of a decision made by the individual. Those who see physically but refuse to see spiritually by not believing in Jesus, may be blinded by the very truth that would give them light. Namely who? The Jewish leaders here. It's a funny thing about light. Light illuminates. You're driving down the street in your car, your headlamps illuminate you. But if you're in the wrong position, the oncoming traffic lights can blind you. And we find this statement throughout the gospel in the New Testament in various forms. And it almost seems that God is blinding the people purposely so they can't see. But he's saying that I preach the gospel and those who reject the gospel, that light becomes a blinder to them. And their darkness becomes greater. 
But it isn't at the doing of God, it is at the choice of man as he rejects the light that can bring him before God to worship. If he chooses not to believe, then it removes him from the presence of God to be judged. It is our doing, not God. Now, in view of all of this, Jesus wants us to see some basic truths in the story of the blind man that are very practical for us. First of all, the congenital blindness of the man from birth represents the spiritual blindness of every person that is born into this world. The man and the little baby is given birth, and they smack him on his bottom, and they cry. They enter this life spiritually blind, dead in trespasses and sins, little sinners. So in typology, this blind man is a beautiful picture of every person that enters this world. He enters spiritually blind because of sin. Secondly, the only hope for the blind man were the words of Jesus in order that he might manifest the works of God in a miracle. He gained physical sight that pointed him and brought him to spiritual sight. And so the words of Jesus are the only hope, the only hope that you and I have to be able to see the reality of this life, the destruction of sin, and the hope that there is in Christ, in Christ alone, no one else. No man could help this man. No surgeon, no medicine. That's good. That means that he had to go to God. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to you in your life that no one's around to help you. Do you know that? We are so used to having people help us and to do everything, but God's going to put you and me in many positions when we have absolutely no one, nowhere, nothing to turn to but Him. And that is the greatest days of our life. He becomes exactly what he's supposed to be, Lord of our lives, totally dependent on him. Thirdly, the witness of each of us will be tested as to whether we will be faithful as a witness and give Jesus the glory without compromise as this blind man or take part of the glory. Fourthly, the cost of being a faithful witness to Jesus can be great, but we will never be alone, for he will never leave us nor forsake us, and he will seek us out because we are his own, even as he did to this blind man. Hmm. The condition of the blind man led him to the worship of Jesus. An amazing story, a beautiful picture of every person who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and who is in need of spiritual sight. The condition of the blind man was described by the words of Jesus. The condition of the blind man was healed by the works of Jesus. And the condition of the blind man was turned to a witness for Jesus. And the condition of the blind man led the man to the worship of Jesus. That's good news. That is what God desires to do to you.
to remove the scales from your eyes that you might come and worship Jesus. Pastor Xavier Reese, with some good encouragement today and a reminder that the glory of God is able to cut through even the darkest of conditions. A simple truth we see from his study drawn from the Gospel of John. And you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And if the message of hope today is one that you would like to pass along to someone else you might have in mind that would really benefit from a teaching like this, please don't hesitate to get in touch and request a copy. All that you heard last time and today is packed into a study entitled, Sent in Order to See. Ask for it by name or just mention today's date. It's available on CD for just $4. Again, you'll be asking for the study entitled, Sent in Order to See, when you write to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, let us know the call letters of the station you hear us on. That enables us to track where our radio outreach has been a ministry to our listening friends. And thank you for your help. Well, it's been said that there are none so blind as those who will not see. Next time, Pastor Xavier makes the challenge to call it as you see it when confronted with the simple truth. Hope we'll see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com